reign forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. If you would turn in your Bibles with me now, uh, opportunity for us to be able to hear the Word of God. It's found page 1,242 in the Pew Bibles, or it might even appear over my head. But as we come to meet with God today, I, I've got a few questions to raise to you through the messages of Scripture. If you turn in your Bibles there, you're going to be able to see this interesting portion. It's also printed for us inside your, uh, your bulletin on that little portion. This might not seem to be the greatest of Christmas texts. You know, all of us would like to go right to Luke 2 or to Matthew chapter 1. But I want you to reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word in the original. I'll be looking first at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verses 5. Uh, and looking through the next few verses. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being found or being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Let me just repeat that. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. This is in the epistles. That was in Philippians chapter 2, where he talks about Jesus being found in human form. That's the Christmas message. And it's also, if you'll turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, I'll be looking at verses 23 and following. So if you let's look at there for a few moments. I also believe that the apostle Paul wrote this. It was to those who had a church background. Those who were familiar with the Old Testament. He's writing it in the New Testament time. But he says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than even these. For Christ has entered. He's just been talking about the sacrificial system at the church. The church that they all grew up with. The synagogue. And he was saying, oh, they had this ritual. They had this one. But now in verse 24, he says, but Christ has entered. Stage right, Jesus enters. And it says, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of those true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Verse 25, nor was it nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with the blood of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly or again and again since the foundation of the world. If you think for a moment, he says Jesus has appeared. And he didn't keep coming back and back and back and back. But it says it's not that he would do it repeatedly. 
which is what the high priest did every year, year after year after year. Verse 26, for then he would have had to suffer again, repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Jesus, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. In Jesus' name I pray, O Lord, I ask that you will give us that joy. Lord, we look forward to that second appearing that is just mentioned Not that we would have to have our sins dealt with then, but that we would be able to enjoy company with our Savior. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you with me briefly to Bethlehem. Literally, I'm going to take my family there in about two weeks. We're going to go over the hills and the valleys, and we're going to be in Bethlehem's plains. And the bus will drive us up, hopefully, if the, if the Palestinians let us. And we'll come up to the nativity scene churches. And we'll all have to get down and we'll have to go through this little doorway in order to go in and see the place where the Savior came. I want you to go with me there tonight on this Christmas Eve. If you will, join with me. Because if you're there, you already remember Linus's words. For there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their fields keeping watch over those flocks by, of their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all kinds of people. For unto you is born this day. In the city of David, that, that little town of Bethlehem, a Savior, And it's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find that babe wrapped in little swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I want you to to, to come with me to that place. What would you have thought if you were standing there in Bethlehem stable and you were peering and looking at this babe? I want to answer three questions that I'm hoping you're going to ask. Three simple little questions. They're as tough as the one the girl brought up here. If you'll follow along with me, the first question I want to ask is, where do babies come from? We'll get to that one. Second question I want to ask from the Star Wars movie, is there another? And the third question I want to ask, is he yours? Is he yours? So the first question comes back, where do babies come from? Now, that might seem like a strange question, but if you're standing there in the Bethlehem manger and you're looking at this little baby, and by the way, we are so excited for the Mixon family. I know that Katie had her baby just a number of hours ago. I guess it was two nights. A beautiful little baby, seven, seven pounds. And I was just thinking about how sad it is that that child won't have many Christmas presents. Or maybe they'll have lots of Christmas presents and no birthday presents. But, you know, what is it like to see this little baby? Now, the angels came and told the shepherds that this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. And you'll find that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. So where did this baby come from? 
That's the question I'm asking. I'm not asking a, a gynecologist and all that. I'm not trying to figure out where does a baby come from. I'm asking you to come with me on this understanding of the journey that Scripture gives us. This baby didn't just come like the rest of us. It wasn't just a mom and a dad. And we know that because a virgin conceived. And so this baby did not just come from the normal means by ordinary generation. This child came from eternity. The journey from eternity into time is the journey we're taking today. And the first part in answering this question is where did this, ba- where did this baby come from? He came from another, it's hard to explain it, another It's not another time because time itself is a construction that God created. He came from eternity. Now think with me for that. How do I ever explain that to folks on this Christmas Eve? Where did Jesus come from? Well, the Bible gives us three different illustrations I think that'll help you. It comes from the word beginning, comes from the word foundation, and comes from the state of being. Let me explain those three things and it'll help you to explain where this baby came from. First, in the beginning. Where do those words come from? They're the beginning of the Bible and the Old Testament, and they're also found in the beginning of the New Testament. That is, if you start with the book of John. Okay, the Old Testament starts off with, and see if you can help me with the fourth word. In the beginning, God. Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And let me just tell you about this. In the beginning, God already was there. Okay, in the beginning, when God started time, God was there because God created time. God created the heaven and the earth. God created the moon and the stars. God created everything. You can read that in the fourth commandment. That's why we rest on the seventh day, because in six days, God created everything that is. And he did a good job. He did a good job. He didn't even have to do a, uh, do a, a meeting in Paris to try to figure out how to take care of this earth. He set things in motion beautifully. In the beginning. See, the whole idea of the beginning in the New Testament, we start off with the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have that language of the beginning. And in both cases, we always find that even before the beginning was God. And that's where this baby came from, because this baby is God. I want you to to, to let sink that in. There's other scriptures that tell us about how God came from the beginning. But I also want to move you to the next verse or the next word that explains the eternity. It's the foundation, the foundation of the earth. And I need a little help to go back and look for me on this. But when I look for the word foundation, you know, it's interesting in Matthew 13. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open the mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. Jesus was speaking in parables because he was hiding something even when he started time. Or in Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come who are blessed in my name, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. When God made the world, he had already had a kingdom prepared for Christians. It's really interesting in John chapter 17 in Jesus' high priestly prayer, when he's praying to the Father, he says, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Are you starting to see this reverberation? 
He's trying to tell us that even before the world began, even before time, time's clock started ticking, God was. And that's where Jesus was. If you look at Ephesians 1.4, that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And if you go to the book of Hebrews, verse, chapter 1, verse 10, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. I could go on and on. There's about 15 verses about this, even including the book of Revelation at the end. The beast that you saw was not and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and to go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of the life from the foundation of the world, they're going to be surprised. But even the apostle John in the last book talks about the foundations of the world. Pretty fascinating. So you have in the beginning was the babe. Even before the beginning, even before the foundations of the earth, God had this kingdom plan set up. And then a third thing that you find in scripture is the state of being verb. What are you talking about, pastor? Well, let me ask you this. Let's do a quiz with you. When Moses went up to see, to get the Ten Commandments, when he was going up there, even at the burning bush, uh, and he was spending time with God, God told him, I want you to go to Pharaoh. Okay, this was before the Ten Commandments, obviously. And Moses says to him, Nobody's going to listen to me. And he says, whom should I say is is sending me? And what's the answer? I am the state of being. The state of being. The perpetual state of being is the eternal present tense. God is always in the present tense. He never is old. He's never young. He is never anywhere else until this babe stepped into time. Now, in the New Testament, that same state of being is used in the book of Revelation chapter. uh, It's earlier in the book. Let me go ahead and read it for you if you follow along with me. Did I lose my... Maybe I didn't. Uh, If you look to the book of of Revelation chapter 4, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, and, and they were full of eyes around within, and day and night they will never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now think about that for a moment. The state of being in heaven is this perpetual present tense. He uses was, is, and will be. All of those are things that they state the state of being. This is where the baby came from. From eternity into time. Now that leads me to another question and saying, well, how did he get here? How did he make that journey? You know, he didn't use a teleporter because Star Trek wasn't created at that point. How did Jesus get into time? How did he get to this earth? Now there's a couple of times in the Old Testament where he appeared. He had an appearance like men. And and it's like, I think he met with Abraham. I think he met with Joshua, you know, as the great commander. You know, he met with different people. We called those theophanies. But that's not how he came. He couldn't pay for our sins. He couldn't be the savior if he was just an appearance of God. He had to be God in the flesh. And this is where it's a little bit eerie and it's tough to say. But the only way he got here was through the birth canal. And think about that for a moment. He became a little baby born in Bethlehem. You're standing there in Bethlehem with me. You're seeing this little child crying. This little child wrapped in swaddling clothes. He made the journey into his creation. 
As Michael Card puts it, Mary, did you know that the child you delivered is soon going to have to deliver you? It was the immaculate, not conception, it was the immaculate reception that that little child was brought into her womb and brought into this world in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, Galatians 4.4. Do you get it? Do you see how exciting that is? Wow. Now, I have to ask you this this second question I was raising. Uh, Is there going to be another? Now, I broke down and paid the money and went to see the Star Wars stuff. Those of you that have been around a few years, you remember when it first came out? I had hair back then. When you think about it, you know, the story is almost reruns a lot of ways, but, but there's this one classic line when everything is almost all lost. And with Luke Skywalker, and he's, and he's meeting with Yoda, and Yoda's going to die, and then you get this comment that the force is strong with your family. And there's another. There's another. And, of course, you know who we're talking about, right? It's Luke has a twin sister. And then that's the storyline. You see more of it unfold. You have to go to the movie, see the rest. But here's the point. Is that when the shepherds heard this message from the sky above, from the angels, who said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Well, is there another? Is this just one and there's maybe going to be another one later? This is why I want to answer that question. There's not another. The one and only. That's why in John 3.16, you can get it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, the one and only. And the reason I can prove this is only the one and only is how he came to be the Savior. You remember when Jesus was, was foretold, they said, and you shall name him Jesus, for he shall Save his people from their sins. That's what Yeshua means. He's going to be the savior. He's going to save people from sins. He's not going to save people from the floods. He's not going to save people all from the fires. He's not going to save people from from overeating or from taking too many drugs, although he could do that. He's going to come and he's going to save them from the penalty of their sins, the wrath of God upon their sins. He's going to save them from God. There's nobody else that's going to do that. And quickly, I want to answer. I want to give you a few verses to be able to show that. If you follow along with me, I want to read a couple of those texts. Uh, When I think about Jesus coming, Philippians chapter 2, he was found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Philippians 2, that text I read. It's not only that he was found in humility, but he was willing to go to the cross. When he entered into time, it wasn't to stay in Bethlehem. It was to make the journey to Jerusalem, to Golgotha's hill, to the cross. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them who needed to be redeemed. In John chapter 1, 14, after he's already started off in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. But then he said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. He came into his own. His own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave what they needed, the forgiveness of sins. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And John the baptizer was not the light. He was the light. 
And that's why I find it very interesting that he emptied himself, not just of, of his glory in eternity, but he emptied himself of all to go to that cross. The cosmic alarm clock went off. And if you read about that in Revelation 12, let me just read a couple of these weird verses and listen up and see if you can see how God even brought all the stars to line up, not only for the wise men to follow, but it fit together here. And a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, an agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heaven, behold, a great red dragon and seven heads and 10 horns. And it goes on and on. Its tail will sweep down. In verse five, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. I remember looking at one of, the one of the astronomers who talked about some of, the, some of the things that appeared in the skies with the blood red moon. You know, there was on Jesus' crucifixion, the sky was darkened. But when Jesus was born, there were some other constellations just like this with the virgin and with the stars above it. It was God's cosmic alarm clock to say, my Savior is come to save his people from their sin. I told you I want to finish with this. Third question, is he yours? Have you received the gift? Have you received the gift? Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask that everyone in this room today would think about the gift that was given, that God so loved the world that he gave us a savior, one from eternity who would come to pay for his people's sins, to satisfy divine wrath. Oh, Lord, I pray that there's someone here tonight that understands it, that receives that gift of eternal life. I pray that they might rejoice in this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. As the singers come on up, or as, as we are getting our candles out, I wanted to challenge you to know that this journey wasn't as unexpected as some might feel. If you look around today, how many people are expecting Jesus to come again? Did you see it on Fox News? How about on CNN? Is anybody looking forward to the return of the Savior? Like it says there in Hebrews where it says he will return a second time. I want to encourage you to know that for those of us who have received Christ's forgiveness, that's what we look forward to. I want to give you some encouraging words. They're found in the bulletin. If you don't have a candle, please get one from one of the ushers. The words of personal application. For God who commended the light to shine out of the darkness has shined his light in our hearts, that's individually, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The whole idea there, brothers and sisters, is that our focus needs to be on the light of Christ's face, the light from the Christmas candle. The other one to encourage you on, we're going to sing in just a few moments, but as the lights dim, I want you to think about the light that God gave us on that blessed Christmas night. As the lights are growing dimmer, you should have a candle. And if we have some elders in this place, and some officers, if you'd come join with me, as the lights grow dimmer and dimmer, I'd like you to bring your candle up and we're going to light our candles from the Christ candle and distribute it throughout the church. As I remember these words, if you'd come on up right now, the officers that are here.
For God, who commanded his light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. When you receive the light, the one that is lit remains vertical. If you don't have the light, then you're supposed to bow to the light, and then you receive the light, and then you become vertical. Do not tip your candle. It's a great illustration there that you're supposed to let your light shine. You're not supposed to put under a bushel. But there's a practical reason too. And that is we don't want wax on the floor. <laughs> Go ahead, brothers. Tip it in sideways. Let's go ahead and sing. Sweet. 
ask you to join with that heavenly host when they proclaimed at the news that a Savior has been given. He's born this day in Bethlehem. The angels could not hold back. I want to encourage you to not hold back. If you could just see your faces right now, they're all aglow. They're glowing. They're radiant. In the midst of the darkness of the room, I can see your facial expressions. At least as good as my glasses can see. But you are lit up. And that's what happened when the three guys spent time with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were in his presence. They got to see his glory. If you get to see the glory of God displayed in the Christ, may your face shine. And may you leave this place rejoicing for the greatest gift that's ever been given to you. I'm going to finish with that verse. And if you join me with the glory to God in the highest... And that'll be our benediction. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for the encouragement this Christmas Eve. We thank you that the lights that are shining are shining in our hearts. That we get the reflection of the face of Jesus smiling on us. For he came and he paid for our sins. He did not have to repeat it once for all. The just for the unjust. He for us. To bring us to God. Lord, I pray that we might respond wholeheartedly, not just repetitively, as did the angels when they heard the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts, and including with us now, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good plunder. Amen. May good will be upon you all. Please blow out your candles if you would without getting waxed everywhere. And uh, the lights will come back on. And I just want to, on behalf of New Covenants community, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and welcome you to come on back to church if you're in town this Sunday. God bless you all and to all a good night. Merry Christmas. Too many translations.
Ha, ha, ha. 